Welcome, everyone. I'm Grandpa Jimmy, your host, and you're listening to the Family and Stories podcast. I'd be willing to bet that very few of you listening will recognize the name of my very special guest today. But if I told you the role she played in an amazing movie, I would be willing to bet that every one of you, no matter your age, have seen and loved the character she brought to life on the screen. This lovely woman lived in Hollywood for the first 90 years of her life, so you might guess she's over 90. She started acting at the age of four when she played the role of a fairy in the 1935 film Midsummer Night's Dream. She's appeared in The Andy Griffith Show, The Lone Ranger, and many, many more. So many, I could not possibly list them. But what she's best known for began with an audition call at the Disney studio in 1951. And with that, I want to introduce my guest, Margaret Carey. Margaret, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And what a lovely introduction. Appreciate it. Well, you're more than welcome. It's just a blessing to have you here. But let's get right to it. What did you audition for at Disney? Well, I was working at 20th Century Fox at that time as an assistant dance director. I've been a dancer all of my life. I still dance on stage, by the way. Do you really? You should, you should hear the oohs and the ahs. Of, <laughs> I still tap dance. <laughs> anyway, I got a call from my agent who said, uh, can you get the date? Because they're interviewing for a part of a three-and-a-half-inch-tall Sprite who doesn't talk. And I thought, well, you know, I really, uh, she said, it's at Disney. I said, I'll be there at 6 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Everybody in Hollywood wanted to work. They knew what wonderful things he was doing. Uh, they didn't tell me what the character was. When I drove up to the gate, the man with the clipboard had my name. That was exciting. Only at, at Disney. It, it's really weird. The other studios, oh, okay. And then they told me where to park. And then they told me where to go to Mark Davis, where his office was. So I did, and I got out like I owned the world. And I got lost. And and this big, tall, lanky man came up. He says, you look lost. And I said, I am. I'm supposed to meet Mark Davis. And he says, I'll take you. Jimmy, I got to tell you, that wouldn't have happened in any other studio. It just wouldn't. I would have right? wandered around. And he took me all the way up to the third floor and said, that door there, that open door there is Mark's office. So I went in, and that was the first time that I found out that Mark Davis, the great animator of Disney, one of the nine old men, was spelled his first name, M-A-R-C. So I went in carrying my little uh, and my little uh, player and introduced myself, and he says, what's that? And I said, well, I wanted to show you a little pantomime. He said, wonderful. And it was, a, but I stopped cold. Because they're on the walls and very large pieces of white paper. I'd say about 22 uh -huh. pencil sketches of the most wonderful character that you ever saw. And I wanted to see her. I wanted to see more of her. But no, I had to sit down and talk to Mark Davis. And I would glance up and he 
So he says, wait a minute. So he called up Jerry Geronimo, Jerry Geronimi, who was the Uber director, one of the Uber directors, overall directors of the movie. And he told me it was for Peter Pan. Well, I love Peter Pan, of course. And I guess that must be Tinkerbell. And so, <laughs> but I have to tell you, Jimmy, the, the, the difference of Disney Studios, the um, nice, nice, nice people that were there was, uh, is, a, is sort of amazing because my player would, well, those two men stopped and tried to figure it out, which they did. And then Mark Davis got down on his hands and knees and found a plug to plug it into. I tell you, I, I thought <laughs> I've got to work here. I've got to work. So I did that. They had me do, and many people who have seen Peter Pan, maybe you remember the scene where she lands on the mirror. I was 19 years old. I could do anything. So anyway, um, I played her. I played Tinkerbell as this little character who had never seen herself in a mirror. Uh, so I, she's not preening herself as we, our new way of thinking about um, girls and boys, she's looking at herself for the first time and saying, oh, is that what I look like? <laughs> I love well, it. they liked it. And either then or maybe uh, next week, I can't remember, they called up and said, um, would it be convenient for you to come? So you, you were Tinkerbell. And, you know, that was in the day long before animation as we know it now. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. We're having a little trouble of hearing each other. Well, I'm going to do my best to speak a little louder here and make sure. There it you works. go. Well, I still am. Well, I was going to. I was going to. I, I was going to say, in those days, you didn't have computer animation. It was all drawings and stuff, wasn't yes. it? So you had to mime this yes. whole thing. And so what they did was they would call me in, and I had a one-piece bathing suit, and they said. Well, you don't need a costume, but they did my hair. She's a blonde. She started out as a redhead, by the way, and they changed her over to a blonde. Then they said, so be there at, at uh, 10 o'clock. Is that convenient? And I said, well, yes. They've never, I've never been asked before whether it was convenient. And there in the sound stage, sound stage one was the whole setup at this 35 millimeter camera. The whole camera crew, I ended up there. And the first thing that I said was, when I stepped outside, out in front of the lens, I said, Mr. Mr. Davis, yes. what would you like her to be? Would you like her to be ditzy like Betty Boo? Or would you like to be above it all like Queen of the Fairy? And Margaret, we want her to be you. And I said, gosh, golly, I think I can do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so then he would show me exactly what he wanted Tinkerbell to do in that particular scene. And I would process it and step out in front into the lights and make the movements and make the move. And he'd say, I like that. Okay. Are you ready? Well, let's try it. And so we would uh, shoot it and he'd say, good for everybody. We say yes. He says, okay, let's take a second one for protection. And that's what we worked through every one of her scenes in the picture. 
each time I would go, they would have a different script and a different idea. It was exciting to be there. That's where I met Walt Disney on Soundstage One. I was working on another project way over against another wall. I had the center stage. I will have you know. For t- Tinkerbell has I to be tell center you. stage. So anyway, he, he came over and I was invited into the conversation. And that was the very first time that I ever met a head of a studio. And it was the most exciting thing. And it was two times later that he stopped by that I realized it was Walt Disney. <laughs> so you didn't even recognize well, him, Well, recognize you? him for who he was. That I was taught that the head of the studio was God. Okay, but still God. And if you ever saw him, you should curtsy. I mean, it was that. <laughs> I know. It was a wild time. It, actually, I would call that the golden years. Those were the sweet times. I mean, they're not so sweet now, I don't think. It, it, it's, well, it's indescribable, but it was a different world, I will tell you. And praise God, he took me out of that world, and he took me into television, which was so new that none of the things that were happening in the movies were happening in television. Everybody was wondering where it was going to go and what was going to happen. And so they were busy making it grow. And I've always loved God for that. So the Lord kept you in an area where there was some real moral values. I remember when television first started, that was critical. They wanted moral values on oh, television. Oh, definitely. Had to, I mean, the Lone Ranger did you realize in the Lone Ranger he never killed anybody or 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 wounded anybody? I never noticed. He that. never did. He shot the gun out of their hands with a silver bullet. That's right. You, you didn't <laughs> see violence for violence' sake. And on top of that, you they didn't have time to. I I use the euphemism fool around. Let me ask you this question then. So being a Christian in Hollywood at that time, it, it wasn't a hard thing. There were actually a lot of Christians. Were there not even in the industry? To answer your question about Christians, I was doing a movie with um, Eddie Cantor and Joan Davis called If You Knew Susie. I was playing their daughter in it, and I did a big, huge dance, which you could still see on the Internet. All you have to look for is Margaret Carey, K-E-R-R-Y. There I am. It's amazing. I watch it. It's really good. (laughs) But at the same time, my mother, who was very, very traditional, had walked into my bedroom on my birthday and said, you are now 18. You may now date. So you had never been out with a boy. I didn't know a boy. I was so cloistered, and I went to a girl's school. And one of the reasons I did was because I could get a permit to get out. I could hardly do that in a a public school. So uh, Uh I had never, I I really didn't know what they were, except a dancing partner. So I said to the dance stand-in, I'm told I could date, but I don't know where, what, what do I do? And she said, you get yourself dolled up on Wednesday night. And follow me to my church, and we have Christian Endeavor, and there are plenty of boys there. I said, really? Well, I dolled myself up like Elizabeth Scott. I mean, I I watched. I looked at the 
movie magazines. I knew what they were. So anyway, sure enough, it was Hollywood First Presbyterian Church on Gower and practically Hollywood Boulevard. And I went in. So I sat down and this woman walked out on the stage to talk to us. Little round woman. And she had, I think, vegetables hanging off her hat. I'm not sure. But she started and she gave this one. She said, stop that smooching up there. That was her first. So everything, everybody settled down. And she said, she said, well, you know, I'm late because my, my um, car broke down. My sister sent for a mechanic. As the mechanic walked up the driveway, I looked out the window of my house and God said, Henrietta, you talk to him about me. And I said, God, I don't have time. I have this to do and that to do. Henrietta, you talk to him about me. So, well, to make a long story short, young man, you stand up. And this young man stood up and he was the mechanic. He became very big in Henrietta Mears's uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. And I thought, I need right? to know someone who can argue with God. And so, in a way, I discipled under Henrietta Mears. And God put up with me uh, since 1949. Well, I'm glad he did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's still he's putting still up, putting with, you, up right? with me. And, um, so you, you went to a church there where the Hollywood Christian group existed in that that's church? That's right. You see what God does in your life? I asked where boys were, and look what happened. I found a church. So, Isn't that something? And, and that's where all the famous people of the day <laughs> went from Hollywood. Well, correct? they understood that we were a different group because, for example, so many of the work Saturday night, they couldn't get to church on Sunday morning. So we we met on Thursday night at a big hotel, and it was crowded. We had Roy Rogers and Dale Evans and um, um, Marie Wilson. Jane Russell was devout. So J- Jane Russell was a believer then, huh? As a matter of fact, um, she changed a couple of – she was singing with Connie Haynes, and Connie Haynes was devout. It was just a grand group. So the idea was that we were to go out, as many of us as there were, and change things little by little on the um, entertainment things that we were working on. I was in a, a movie that they asked me to be in, and I was supposed to this four-letter word in a phone conversation. So I walked over to the director and said, you know, I don't think a mayor's wife and he says, okay, drop it. You don't have to. It was as simple as that in many, many cases all over the industry. Well, that's wonderful. It's not happening now. <laughs> well, what's bad is good and what's good is bad today. It's just astounding to me. This is just a wonderful story how you stayed in a relationship with Jesus through all of your Hollywood years. I mean, it's just wonderful. Well, I married a producer of animation. Because actually television was getting into sauciness. It was getting into, you really didn't. mm. Because I had done the, I was also the redheaded mermaid in Tinkerbell. And so I had, and I did voiceover. So he walked in one day and looked at me and he said, can you do a kid? And I said, sure I can. So I said, gee, look at that. 
I'll be home, mommy. I really will be home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, good. You're the boy in my new animated film, and I don't have to pay you. Said he walked out. (laughs) (laughs) So I went into the wonderful world of animation. I've done over 600 cartoons that are on television. Clutch Cargo, The New Three Stooges, did 139 episodes with them. And then I've done, I can't remember all of them, but I have 48 different voices and I do 21 different dialects. I have no idea how you could pull up any one of 48 voices on command. Now that, that's got to be yeah, a challenge. And we never thought about it. You just stood in front of the huge microphone and did it. It, it was great. So you lost your husband at some point. Isn't that true? After 37 years. Yeah. And then the good lords, uh, I went back to Hollywood First Press uh, on a, you know, on a real mission to, and I couldn't find a place there. And I said, Lord, I don't think you want me here anymore. Well, one of my favorite places to stay, to, to sit and, and be quiet was the old North Church. Uh, I'm sitting there and I look down and there is a little card that says, there is a church service in the Old North Church on Sundays at 12 noon, and we're welcome. In the Old North Church, it's a replica, a perfect replica of the one in Boston. I love history. I went, and I met the next man of my dreams. Is that And I was right? married to him for 12 and a half fabulous years. I lost him, and I was a widow for 20 years. Okay, now I'm going to ask you the big question. Now, are you yeah, ready? I'm ready. You, you are a newlywed, right? You've got to tell that story. We are celebrating in August our sixth month anniversary. We were married on February 14th. Disney gave us a great big party, two parties, and we flew immediately to Sarasota where my darling Bought us a house. That's where I'm zooming from. Yeah, and you know, our connection isn't perfect, but that's the internet for you. So who cares? The story's so good. Who cares if the do connection I have to is tell you? Uh, do I have time to tell you how it happened? You've okay. got to because it's so cool. Right. I mean, I mean, I, I I can throw in one thing. This was somebody you met before World War II. Well, let's find out. Uh, right. Okay. I am in my a lovely little unit in Los Angeles. Been there for 15 years, uh, working hard and um, uh, traveling with shows and all the rest in actually Glendale, California. And I said, something is telling me I'm going to be leaving. This is not going well in California with what's happening. So I thought, and people would say, where are you going? I said, I have no idea. So I had my 90th birthday. I get an email and it says, it was forwarded to me. It said, would you like to get back in touch with a fellow named Robert Bokey? I thought, that is incredible. Of course, I've remembered him so well, but out of the blue. So anyway, I sent back, yes, I would, I would, I would love to. And then. So the next day or the following day, I got a phone call from France. He was in France. And I said, what is this? He said, well, um, I am a world, uh, second, second world war veteran. I'm being honored at 
Utah Beach and the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And I was in Amsterdam and I was walking down the street and I was friends over and there was a store that said, he sells toys. And he said, I turned to, I turned to the, um, friends and said, did I ever tell you I dated you? And, and he told them about Tinkerbell and there was one lady said, well, let's get in touch with her. And she was a whiz on the phone, you know? So she sent the email yes. to my, she got my website, which is tinkerbelltalks.com, a real, and she sent it and it was sent on to me. So I sent back, replied, of course, I'd be delighted. And so that's when he called me uh, from France. He got back. We talked to each other. We realized we had so much in common and we, we really, in a way, missed each other. That was 70 years ago. And I'm thinking, the door is open. The door is open. Something is going to become of this. And so, you know, I, I just kept my, my peace. I didn't tell many people what was going on. And I said, I'm, you know, I'm on the Andy Griffith show. He says, what's that? He said, you've never seen an Andy Griffith show? He says, no. I said, well, well, I'm going to be up at Mount Airy, which is Andy's birth, birthplace. And on the third weekend, weekend in September, we turn it into Mayberry Days. So I fly up and I sign autographs. Now you live in South Carolina. I will be in North Carolina. Um, is there any chance of you perhaps um, getting up there somehow? And he drove eight hours up to Mount Airy. We met in the clubhouse. He loves golf, by the way. Met in the clubhouse before all the celebration was going to happen. And we took one look at each other and realized it was love. Love at second yeah. sight. I love that. And I, I will tell you, we had to get to know each other. And he, he just went right in and started helping me, moving photos, moving books to where I could sign, meeting people. He was wonderful. And so, but he took me to breakfast the third morning and we're sitting there alone. And he says, well, I have to move from where I am. I live in an island called Hilton Head where there are 50 golf courses and nothing else happens. That's not for you. And I thought, I think we're going to do this. And then he said, but I have to move close to a Costco because I do my shopping at Costco's. And I jokingly, I said, you shop at Costco's? He said, yes. I said, you have a membership card? He said, yes. Could I use it? He said, yes. Will you marry me? He says, well, we've got to put all these things together. So you proposed. I guess I did. I really, it was, it was started out as a fun joke because he's, he hasn't been around, doesn't have any of this. His was all structured. Yes. And I say to him, he asked me something. I say, you're darn tootin'. He says, how do you spell tootin'? <laughs> and we have been locked down now for four, four months, five months, something like that. And we're still giggling at each other and having the best time. 
Uh, say his name. Say his name Robert one more time, please. Boke, B-O-E-K-E. So I haven't been able to change my name over because when I got here, everything closed. Well, you know, most new, most newlyweds would kill for a lockdown the first four months of their marriage. <laughs> and I just, I, you know, I look at God and so many of my friends said, God was really looking after you, whether they are believers or not. I think that is absolutely amazing. God really is looking after you, Margaret. I think they have guessed that I'm a believer. It would be very hard not to guess that. It is such a blessing to talk to you. I, I, I think you could probably come up with enough stories to talk for the next two hours. And we're, this is one of these times we're going to have you on again, if you're willing. It would be great to have you well, back. Well, I'd I, I love I just, to talk to him. And I thank you for the invitation here. That was so sweet. Well, it it's a privilege for us to have and you. And I guess the people who are watching know that we like each other. I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I can spend some time with you. If you come to Colorado, you're invited there to my you house. Go. There you <laughs> go. Well, there you are. So just before we go, if anybody wants to contact you or get any of your materials or get your book, by the way, which is called Tinkerbell. No, it's called Tales of a Pixie. Tinkerbell Talks. Tinkerbell Talks. Uh, tales of a pixie dusted life. That's it. Tinker Bell talks tales of a pixie dusted life. So give us your uh, your website. Tinkerbelltalks.com. Well, that shouldn't be too hard to remember. Well, thank you so much for being on the program and thank all of you who are listening for taking the time to listen. I know you have enjoyed listening to Margaret Carey Tinkerbell. What a blessing you have been. Thank you and blessings all over your household. Bye-bye.